0: So we're in the book of Mark, chapter 12, if you want to head in that direction. Um, we have been in a series in Mark for a couple of years now, uh, kind of off and on, and so as different uh, things on the church calendar or cultural calendar or different things come up, we'll take a break from it for a little bit. So, um, But we've been kind of plugging along over the last two months, and uh, we've picked up in the beginning of chapter 11, which is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, its Palm Sunday, if you're familiar with that, last uh, with Passion Week. Um, But the main thing is, it's Passover in Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims have made their way to, to Jerusalem for this week of celebration and for Passover to be the big deal. And so this is Tuesday of Passion Week. And Tuesday has been filled with controversy. Jesus has been confronted over and over and over again uh, as a troublemaker, and um, all the religious groups have come at him. So, so far on Tuesday, just to kind of recap, here are all the groups that have come at him to try to uh, ask him questions, to trip him up, to give him a reason for them to arrest him. Uh, The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. He's dealt with all of them on Tuesday, and he's still not done. Um, and so the last group that he dealt with, there was one individual that was a scribe. And that encounter was really positive. But all the other ones have been brutally just, just terrible. Uh, and now Jesus goes on offense. I like that. He's been playing defense all day on Tuesday. Now it's his turn. And so he zeroes in on, on the group called the scribes. And so the scribes were they were experts in the written law. And in in Judaism, the written law was a mixture of social laws and religious laws. So they were kind of lawyers and they were kind of theologians. It was kind of pushed into one one kind of deal. And so let's look at what Jesus, he initiates this. And he has his disciples with him and whoever else would listen. This is what he says. um, Starting in verse 35. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said... How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. All right, so let's stop, let's stop right there. He and this is not the major point for this morning. This is just, um, like, there's more to come on this in the Gospel of Mark. So let me just address it real quick, and then I'll move to the next part. Um, because this will come up later in our study of Mark. Um, but he's saying, he's pointing out that the, the scribes who are supposedly experts in the law, they're, they got, they're getting something pretty wrong about who the Messiah is. So he quotes Psalm 110, which is a, a very, very well-known psalm. About the Messiah that was to come, uh, they all had the like, every everyone in Judaism kind of was operating under this assumption that the Messiah was going to be a political figure, a military figure, uh, who was going to return and restore Israel to political, military, world dominance again, and. Um, Psalm 110 was a part of where they got that from. And so what Jesus is doing, he says, hey, okay, uh, so the scribes are, they're supposed to be the experts, but they're missing out something very important. Um, if you look at what, what he says when he goes in and quotes Psalm 110, um, look at verse 36. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies at your feet. If you were to read that, if you were to go to Psalm 110 and read it, um, the first word, Lord, and the second word, Lord, in your Bible are going to look a little bit different. The first one is going to be in all caps. L-O-R-D, all caps. The second one, only the first letter is capitalized. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament because they're differentiating between two words that are very important. If it's all caps, that uh, that means that that word is, is God's name, is Yahweh. If it's only the first letter is capitalized, it means it's the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. In the sense that we tend to think of it as lordship or someone has authority over my life. And so what he's saying is, is the Lord said to my Lord. He said, so God said to my, to my Lord. And that wouldn't make sense to them. Because to them, in that culture, uh, the Messiah who was a descendant of, of David, you would never call your descendant your Lord. You were always over them because you were the patriarch, and it kind of went kind of went like downhill in that way. So your dad would never call you Lord. It would just it was just never happen. It doesn't make sense. And so Jesus is saying, well, did David get the wording wrong? Because you look at verse 37. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? What he is, what he is saying, and if you were to we were to like diagram it out and all this stuff, it would eventually. It would eventually make sense if I was better at explaining things. Um, what he was essentially saying, though, is that the Messiah is not only a descendant of David; he's also the Lord of David. That David himself is recognizing this. David himself is saying, "Yahweh and the Messiah are above me." What Jesus is. Pointing to is saying the Messiah is not only a descendant of David, he's also, he'll also be his Lord. And God is going to say to him, Come sit at my right hand and let me put your enemies at your feet. In the big picture of Mark, this is a moment when Jesus begins to pull back the curtain a little bit and help them to see something that he has kept pretty much to himself, which is that he is the embodiment of God's promise to Israel, that he is Messiah. That he is the one that God has said, come sit at my right hand. Let me put your enemies at your feet. This is a really big moment that very few people are understanding uh, in, in this text. As the story unfolds, it will make more sense. And so we'll get to all that later. But I didn't want to just skip over that. Just know that this is a really big moment in the kingdom of God's story. Um, so he's pointing out that the, the scribes, they think they know their theology, but they don't. And then he turns to their lives. And so let's look at let's look at what he has to say there. Look at verse thirty eight. In his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and, and like greeting in greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Alright, so let's stop. So he's already like pointed out they don't know their theology like they say they do. And he says, But let's let's look at their lives. Um, they're supposed to be interpreting the truth of God's word, telling the people this is what this is the truth of God's word, this is what we need to do, and I'm gonna show you how to walk that out as an expert. But Jesus has, brings this indictment against them against their lives. And if we go very if we go kind of item by item culturally there's some things that kind of help us understand that he's painting uh, a pretty interesting picture. The first thing he says looking in 38 says beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Okay? Now it doesn't sound like a big deal to us. Um, the scribes had a very specific like uniform that they would wear. And it was a, it was a white linen robe. And only the scribes got to wear it, and you had to, you had to like earn your way into it. And uh, it was meant to signal something to everyone, to communicate to something, something to someone. If you've ever been to um, like a college graduation, And it's when all everyone that has a PhD, whenever they like, all the faculty and all that stuff, whenever they come in, and they there were these like crazy robes and these like weird hats with like feathers on them and all these things, and they're so proud of it because they like earned it. And so if you have a PhD in the room, you've earned that kudos to you i'm just saying that the hood hat thing looks weird sometimes you know uh, but they love getting to wear that because when else are you going to wear it you know maybe halloween but when else are you going to wear that except for graduation and they get so jacked to wear it and it's like crazy to see to see that happening that outfit though is signaling to the room of i've done the work you know I have my doctorate. I have done the research. I have written the paper. I have defended my dissertation. Like I am published. I have done the work. It's communicating that to everyone at the graduation. So the scribes, they had their uniform that was meant to signal something. And it was meant to signal uh, how educated they were and how spiritual they were. And so they would put on these fancy robes and walk around like they were something else. That's what he's saying. They loved that. They they loved to communicate their education and how spiritual they were. They would have loved Instagram. Okay, like they, that's that's what they were wanting to do. Let me just let me display and show you how spiritual I am. That wasn't a cheap shot at anybody. Just just a fact. They would have loved Instagram. So um, the next thing it says is uh, they. Uh, he says they like greetings in the marketplaces. They, they liked they liked being like a, a kind of a somebody who'd walk through the marketplace and. People would would recognize them. They loved having a title. They loved they loved the, the recognition. They they loved being known by people. Um, the next thing he says, they they like having the best seats in the synagogues. So if you go go into a synagogue, all the scribes would sit in a in a, like a in a courtroom, like a where the jury sits, like in their own little box. The scribes had their own little box up, up front. And so in our mind of thinking, they would have loved they'd have loved the stage. They loved being up front and being seen and being heard. And, and the, the, the fact that all the synagogue kind of re- revolved around what, the, what they had to say about something and how they contributed. Um, it says they liked having places of honor at feasts. So if someone was, was throwing a feast, they would often invite uh, some of the scribes to come and be their honored guests. Because that was a big deal to them. And they would get to sit close to the host's in the seats of prominence, you know, and so they really liked that, that whole deal. Um, then he says that they, they devour widows houses, which was a phrase that would have been understood by the, by his hearers. And that basically just means that they, they knowingly take advantage of people. So widows were, per, were pushed to the margin of society. They were overlooked. They were fending for themselves. They were dependent on the generosity of others. Um, and the scribes would just devour them, just bulldoze right over them, would knowingly take advantage of them or anyone else pushed push to the sides. Uh, that Any way that they could maintain power, maintain their status, maintain that whole reputation, that whole thing. And then the last part says that for a pretense, they make long prayers. Which is not, he's not taking a shot at people who pray lengthy prayers. Um and so they they stand up and they they recite these long passages of scripture and they pray these long prayers and it's as it's just empty that there's 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 nothing to them it's it's just a show they they do it to receive the approval of man which they're getting and so you pile all that stuff together you see the pride and the arrogance and the deception and you see why Jesus would look at his followers and say, you need to be aware of this group of people. You don't need to get caught up and swept up in, in them and the things that they are f- focused on and obsessed with and the things that are important to them. You don't need to look at them as a model. They're supposed to be setting the example. They're, they're supposed to be saying, this is what God's word says and this is what it looks like in real life as, we've lived, as we live it out. But Jesus is saying, don't look at them. Don't follow them. Beware of them. And then the next story it's almost as if Peter and Mark, when they got together to write this gospel, they said, You know, it's pretty significant that from that moment Jesus then transitions into almost like the polar opposite. So look at the next look at the next verse. Verse forty one. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. It's almost as though he's like, "Beware of the scribes; that they're modeling, they're modeling lies for you. If you want to model someone to pattern your life after, look at this widow." It's like these two passages being right next to each other offer this, this contrast. You know. Here's this vain, prideful group of educated you know, people. And here's this poor widow. And everywhere around you, you're being told to be like the scribes. And I'm telling you, beware of them. This is who you should be like. She doesn't really care about what she's wearing and what it signals to people. She doesn't care about the, the, the prayers that the scribes are praying. She doesn't care about where she sits in the synagogue. She doesn't care about being invited to feasts. She doesn't, she doesn't care about all of those things that they are all swept up in. And my assumption is that Jesus using the scribes uh, overlooking the widows and then Highlighting a widow that maybe she's one of the ones that the scribes have overrun maybe they ha- have taken advantage of her and yet she doesn't turn against God in that moment she may not be a fan of the scribes but she's still going to give and she gives more than what is required of her to give she gave everything that she had so others were giving from abundance. She gave 100% of what she had. and, and, And that's what drew the attention of God. So here's this contrast. Don't be like them. This is who you need to look like. If we go back to that contrast, I really think that there's something for us there. To beware of the vanity that's being modeled by the scribes and the lies that it connects, communicates to us. Because when I describe the scribes, it's not real hard to like relate to them, you know. So they're caught up in their in their long robes, and their what the, that signals to everyone. We're we can get swept up in that, right? We can get swept up in uh, how we look and what that communicates to people, and making sure people think certain things about us and. All those kinds of things. We can get caught up in titles and accomplishments, and we could find our identity and our worth based on the, the 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 things we have done, the grades that we make, the degrees that we have, the job that we have, the money that we make. Or like that can all be really positive, or it can be really negative. The job that we lost, the class that we failed, the uh, top scholarship that uh, slipped through our fingers very easily. You know, those kinds of things. Like we we can we can easily build all of our worth and all of our value on those very same things. We can get swept up in things we got invited to and didn't get invited to. Um, groups that we're a part of or the things that we're not a part of. Uh, we too can be a part of injustice to those on the margins. Sometimes we're unaware of it, but sometimes we're 100% aware of it and we can do it anyway. any way. And as a part of Christian community, it's pretty easy to learn, to learn the, the buzzwords and the vernacular, you know, and kind of blend in, and then be really, really empty on the inside um, in terms of your walk with the Lord. So it's easy to look at the scribes and be like, oh, those guys, they were problems. But then if we look in the mirror, we, I'm not saying that you'll see a scribe, but I think that we can all, like, let's put our hands in the middle and agree it's very possible for us to fall into that same those same patterns, right? Those same patterns of vanity. That's all they were really doing is just putting on a show. They were they're wearing a costume. We got a lot of costumes in the room, right? Halloween obviously has a dark side to it that we're not here to exalt. But also there's like a, it's fun, right? We were all kids at one one point in time. We got to wear costumes and pick something out and I was talking to my mom yesterday. She asked me if I remembered. Like, do you remember any of the costumes that you wore? And I was thinking about it last night. I remember one one time I was Superman, and uh, that was awesome. And I had some blue tights, and I was probably too old to be wearing blue tights. Uh, that's a whole other story. Another another year, I wanted to be a football player, and the costume was ordered, came in, and it was instead of LSU, it was Alabama. So, not my best moment there. Um, but the worst one, and I debated telling y'all this. It's on a live stream. I'm just going to go ahead and tell it to you. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, at my middle school, they let us at a stream a middle magnet. Anyone? Uh, we got to we got to wear uh, costumes. And in the sixth grade, I decided that I was going to... Um, well, there was a televangelist who had recently uh, had a very public fall, let's say. Um, And it was very much, it was all over the news. It was like a big time thing, especially here in Baton Rouge. And so I decided to dress up as him. And I put on a suit and I slicked my hair back and I carried a Bible around uh, school all day. And I just like cried and confessed my sins to people. Um, I'm going to have to answer for that, guys. Like, I'm a little worried about that one. Uh, Not cool at all. But for some reason, I did it. And... uh, None of my peers had a clue what I was doing, but the teachers thought I was hilarious, you know. And so, uh, but there's just something, something about like putting on a costume, pretending that you're someone else uh, for a little while, just getting to do that whole thing. Um, that has its place. The scribes were doing that, misleading themselves and misleading the people of God. They were just putting on a costume. And they were so swept up in that vanity that they were blind to their own stuff. So Jesus gathers his people together and says, Look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to stand by and let you get lied to. That's not who you need to be like. Let me show you the example. And he highlights this widow. What's the, what's the antidote, you know? You put these stories side by side. What? What do you? How do you not get swept up in vanity? I think the antidote is you give your life away, right? Like you, you're generous with your life. Now she was generous with her money, and and I think that there's a that's a super important topic. It's it's our number one idol in our lives, right? Aside from our own like awesomeness, right? And so uh, that is a hugely important topic. It's not the only, it's not the only topic. But you think about the vanity that's tied to our finances, and then Jesus says, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't create you for vanity. See, vanity just takes, vanity just takes and takes and takes, and love gives. So he says, I didn't create you to take, I, I created you to give, now, taking and receiving are different, so don't, don't hear, like, we're supposed to receive from the Lord, but vanity takes from other people. It says, no, I created you to give, and so when it comes to money, he says, yeah, my, my kids, I created them to be generous and to give their money away. And, and I teach them how to do it in a way that is joyful, in a way that is an act of worship, and, and, as a way of, of trusting trusting the Lord and, and being a part of the mission and crushing the idol that comes with finances. There's other other points of generosity too, right? Like we we, God's like I also made you to give away your time, to be generous with your time. As my sons and my daughters, I I I created them to be generous with their time, and I teach them when they ask me. I, I, I teach them how to order their days so they can be wise, and they know what to say yes to when they say know what to say no to. They know when to rest, they know when to get to work. They like. I teach them how to do all that. I teach them how to give themselves away like that. He's gifted us, right? We have spiritual gifts. We also have abilities and talents and all these kind of things. He says, "I've gifted you in all these ways so that you can give yourself away." And I teach you how to do that. We're generous with our relationships. We're we're generous with our vocations. We're generous with our words. When we go through our whole lives, you have these scribes who just—it's taking, it's all vanity—and then Jesus is saying, "No, generosity, love gives. I, I've made you givers. Let me teach you how to be a giver." And a part of it is we have to see—we have to see the scribes and the vanity of their their whole existence for what it is, and we have to see the beauty of the widow. We have to see those two things side by side. So I think that Mark and Peter, when they got together and they wrote this, I think they, they put them there. It happened in the same day, certainly they said, I think they said, let's put them right next to each other. Because Jesus probably went, don't be like them, be like her. And we need that right there in the scriptures together, for those two things to be contrasted together. And if you, if you, take, if you kind of go one, one or two levels up from this, like a little more bird's eye view, what is Jesus doing? He's not only looking at the widow and saying, be like her. He's really saying, you know, the widow's just being like me. The widow has said no to vanity and yes to generosity. Jesus is like, I've been doing that from the jump. See, Jesus could have been, he could have been like the, the ultimate scribe, right? Right? Best robed, best seats, and all the all the, the feasts. The best title, the biggest somebody in the synagogue. He could have been. He could have been top dog scribe. The scriptures say that he, rather than that, rather than holding tightly to that vanity and all that pride and all the, the things that could have come, he emptied himself. I took the form of a what servant. And became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's not asking us or them to do anything he has himself done already. To say no to vanity and say yes to generosity. He's, he's already gone down that road. He has gone ahead of us and paved the way and he shows us it's safe to give your life away. It's safe to give your money away. It's safe to, to, to give your words away. It's safe to give your energy away. It's, it's safe to give your gifts away. And, and, and You name it, put it in the list. It's safe to give it away because Jesus gave it all away. And he shows us, yeah, it's perfectly fine. In fact, it's better. Like the reward of obedience with the Father is better than if you had held on to all that stuff. And so he's cultivating this in us. He's, he's making a, a, he's making a a way of life for people. That's what this is. This is not a, it's not just like, Oh, well, this is just how, this is just how I do things in my head. He's like, no, it's just this natural rhythm way of living so that when something comes up and you're able to give a part of your life away, you're just, it's just the natural thing to do. You don't even hesitate to do it. And that's not a switch that we flip. It's not just a choice that we make. It's, it, it has to be formed in us. It's a spiritual formation issue. And so he invites us into this relationship. He uses the imagery of of a yoke. You know, you have the the two animals and you have the piece of wood over the two of them with the loops on it and they got two animals in the yoke together. And he says, take my yoke upon you. So you'll be one animal in the yoke and I'll be the other animal in the yoke and I'll teach you how to do this whole thing. I'll teach you how to reject vanity and how to become a generous person who gives everything away because that's who you really are. That's who your savior is. That's who your god is. That's what your kingdom is. That's the that's your true self. You 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 really aren't vain. That's not who you really are. That's who, that's the broken version of you. All right? I said a few weeks ago, we're so focused on being an acorn, he's like, "No, no, you got look look at the oak. That's that's who you were meant to be." And so I want to bring that challenge to us, to all of us, that, that we would, that we really would think about the example that Christ has set, that he has gone down the path of rejecting vanity and embracing generosity. And he's willing to lead us forward in that as well. Because vanity shows up in all our lives in different, very different ways. And generosity also shows up in different ways. And so we need him to lead us. And it isn't always super fun to say, okay, let's take this look in the mirror and let's let, let's let God really just get in there and do some work, you know. It's incredibly rewarding and important and true and right and good and all those things, but it's not fun all the time. But you start to talk to people who over the course of their lives have moved from being like a scribe to being like the widow and they're full of joy and peace. And they're always generous. Like generosity is like a it's like a hallmark, it's a it's a form of love and loving one another as Christ loved us, it's really very, very unique. And so in your life, I believe, just like in my life, that there are things that God wants to show you, like, yeah, vanity has worked its way in here. We've got to do something about that. And generosity being one of the antidotes for that, of saying, How how can I give away so that this formation can continue in me? Now, um, I used to say uh, this a lot more than I do now, because people started to make fun of me, but I don't don't know where this really fits into your life. I have no idea. And so this is not like a targeted sermon. It's just, it's what was next. The thing is, you know where it fits into your life. And so now this is like your, this is yours to steward. And so in a minute, um, we're going to sing a little bit more, because I believe that there is something Really spiritually powerful about getting in the word together and God stir some things up. And then I think we need to sing because I believe there's that's like, a, like how we fight the enemy wanting to come in and tell us why these things aren't true or about this and this and this and this. So we're going to do a song we've never done before. We learned it this morning. Um, so fingers crossed right uh, and it uh, it may as well have been written for this this sermon and so it may not be one that you sing along with I hope that you can catch on to it but it may just want to be one that you just listen to or are blessed by um, as a prayer that we can pray together and so uh, I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up and I'm going to ask uh, how about we all stand together and let me pray for us and we're going to sing we're just going to see what God wants to do in these closing moments together Lord, I'm thankful for, um, thankful for this this widow who probably had no idea that you were observing her, and had no idea probably that she was setting an example that we all these years later would be thinking about, and that we would be drawn to and challenged by, and I'll say that we don't need any help. In being like the scribes, we're perfectly capable of doing that by ourselves. Um, but if we're going to reject that vanity uh, that we see in our world and that creeps its way in, if we're going to reject that and we're going to um, to be the generous sons and daughters that you created us to be, we're going to have to have your help, Jesus. I'm thankful that you have gone down that road. You. You have paved the way. You have shown us that it is safe and good to do that. So help us to follow you more deeply in, into that. And as we sing and listen and just kind of have this time together, pray that your will would be done. We love you. We pray this in your name.